Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us from Genesis 12, verse 1 through 5, and verse 10 through 20. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a beautiful woman, was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My, uh, my wife and I, we talk about this uh, pretty regularly. Uh, would we go back to an age before modern technology uh, if we could? You know, if we could go back to before social media existed, even though oh, there's been so many benefits, so many good things that have come through technology, uh, would we ever just, do we long to go back to the simpler ways uh, before social media and technology? And um, it's a debatable question. I recognize that. Not everybody's on the same page. I don't know that we are often fully on the same page about how to answer that question. But it's complicated because we know that there's a lot of good that has come uh, with modern technology, a lot of things that have been very difficult. Now, for me personally, I think I could probably give up almost all of the modern technological advances except one, one thing. Google Maps. (laughs) Hear me out. Google Maps absolutely has transformed my life. I don't remember how to get anywhere on my own, but I don't have to. Why? Because Google Maps. There was a time, and I know probably many of us uh, remember the days before Google Maps when you really just, you had a map and a prayer, right? You just kind of hoped you were going to get there and that you were going to get there timely. And something about that just doesn't, I'm not that interested in going back to a time where I just have a map and a prayer. And what's interesting is that as you, we read this story, the story of Abram, he is very much a man who's about to set out on a journey with a bit of a map 
and a hope and a prayer, right? There's, there's this desire to follow the Lord, as we just heard in this passage, but in the end, he doesn't really have full confidence about where he's going or how he's going to get there. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we have been in a series going through the book of Genesis. Slowly but surely, we are making our way through. And our desire has been, as we've gone through this series, is to take a bit of a look at our origin story, the Christian origin story. This is who we are. Uh, Something that Pastor Abe said last week is something that you begin to discover is as you step into the Christian story, you realize everything that you're reading in the book of Genesis It's not something that's happened to these other people. It's actually part of our story for the Christian. And today we come to one of the most famous travelers, sojourners of the Bible, this man named Abram. Uh, Abram would eventually be renamed Abraham. And so in case I slip up, because I inevitably am going to, uh, Abram and Abram are the same person. And what I want to do today, I want to take a look at some really significant things that we can learn about his journey, about what it actually means to set out on a journey with nothing but of a bit of a roadmap, a hope and a prayer, and how that's actually the exact way God desires for us to walk this journey of life trusting his roadmap, trusting in him. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Abraham's journey, see what we can learn by taking a look at three things. First, the roadmap toward blessing. Second, the detour from blessing. And then finally, the destination of blessing, okay? So first, the roadmap uh, toward blessing. So if you were here with us last week, remember we were coming off the story of the dispersion that occurred at Babel. Uh, This is Really, what we're seeing here in our passage, the beginning stages of God calling and developing his people, the people of Israel that we would we would be able to identify today. And God begins this uh, this creation uh, of this people by calling the father of that people who would be this man, Abram or Abraham. Now, Abram's story is one of travel. Uh, This travel takes him kind of around the fertile crescent of the Mediterranean. He starts in what is modern-day Turkey and moves westward. But he does so, based on what we see in this passage, solely on a promise that he's given about where he's going. Look at the, the very first verse of our passage. We see that the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And then later on in in verse 5, it says that they set out for the land of Canaan. Now, I'll tell you what, these couple of verses, it might not seem like there's a whole lot there, but those couple of verses say so much about what it means to be called by God, to obey God, to follow God, and as a result, be used by God. I think what resonates here is that for many of us, we desire to have an understanding. Just like Abram has this understanding of his calling, his purpose, his direction, we too often have a desire in our lives to have a sense of what God desires for us. What is our calling? I mean, as a pastor, I have those kinds of conversations all the time with people. What is my calling? What does God desire for me and in my life? Well, the story of Abram is quite instructive for us for how to assess our willingness to embrace God's call when it comes. So what I want to look at, there's actually three things I I see that jump out at me just in those two verses about what it means to have a calling, to embrace that calling, and to trust God in the midst of that calling. 
And it really comes down for me to three things, faith, sacrifice, and then blessing, right? Let me show you what I mean. Within this story of Abraham, we have very much faith. The call of God to Abraham, Abraham's response is completely predicated on the notion of faith. God tells him, leave your current country and all that you know and head to a land that I will show you. In other words, you don't know where you're going, but trust that I'm going to get you there. Right? There's, there's a faith, there's a trust that's part of Abraham's call here. Then God gives him a promise, but really doesn't say a whole lot about the details of that promise. In verse 2, this is what God says. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I will, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all, my, and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So he's going to make Abraham a great nation, we know now that that nation would eventually be Israel. But here's what's interesting. God promises to make him a great nation, but that land, right, established as Israel, probably wouldn't be established for like another five or 600 years. And then on top of that, spoiler alert, the blessing that goes to all the nations happens through Jesus. And that wouldn't come for like an additional 1,500 years after that. So in other words, Abraham's promise and calling were very much wrapped up in something that was going to be behind, be beyond him, and the immediate blessing that he maybe would have desired. Yet despite all this, though he does not have all the answers, because God said go, and because he has, uh, he has faith that God will lead him, he goes. He embraces the call, whatever it might be. And so for us, it's important to know, embracing our call, whatever God may call us to, will likely require faith, even though we don't have all the answers to the questions that we have. The second thing that we see there is sacrifice. Another important uh, facet to his faithful response, Abram's faithful response, is ultimately the need for him to lay down everything, to leave everything that he knew. You know, God called him and required him to leave where, what he'd known, the place where he'd lived, the culture in which he'd been embedded, the land in which he'd lived for many years, he was asked to leave his comforts and his current vision of what he thought life was going to be. Right? I'm sure he had a very particular understanding of where life was going to lead him, and now you have God asking him to leave it all. He was pressed way beyond his comfort zone of the place where he had just been living and had known and he has nothing more to do this, nothing more to go on, rather, than this promise that God gave about a blessing. So it's important just to know that it seems as though embracing our call as well might end up requiring an enormous sacrifice. So not only do we have to have faith, but we also have to have faith in the midst of likely us having to give up much to follow the Lord. And then the third thing that we see here is that we do have this blessing that God promised. I mean, what kind of blessing is it? Well, in, in verse 2, it says that I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. In other words, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless you for a very specific reason, so that, here it is, I'm going to bless you in order that you can then be a blessing. So this promise that God gives to Abram is not about Abram. It was about what God was going to do through Abram. 
in other words, embracing our call, whatever that might be, will not ultimately be about me, but rather God working through me to be a blessing to others. Now you put all of that together. And I think for myself, as I'm sitting with that, it begins to paint a picture uh, as to why so often we can feel so lost about our purpose and calling in life. Because embracing what God desires for us means stepping out in faith, believing that whatever comes on the journey, God will use in order to fulfill the calling that he has on my life. And think about all the different twists and turns that inevitably come in our journey in life. What is the extent to which we trust God in the midst of those twists and turns? I mean, that might mean trusting God, having faith that uh, the job that I have, that maybe I never thought I would have, is part of what God might be doing and using. That might mean being single when I always assumed I'd be married. That might mean that there will be hardships on that journey that I never expected and maybe that I don't even deserve. That might mean living a life different from what I imagined, but nonetheless, having faith trusting that the Lord is with me on this journey and that I'm not wandering, but that ultimately God's sovereign hand is upon me, leading me, guiding me. That's what it means to have faith on this journey ahead. The other thing that we see here is, of course, sacrifice. Not only is there faith, but there's also likely sacrifice, even wrapped up in our callings of how the Lord leads us. You know, am I going to have to make sacrifices to follow the Lord as he calls Yes, I cannot be content with the lull of, you know, pursuing what is comfortable. Being in the will and the purpose of God will almost always mean stepping into a context where my faith journey and my experience of that journey will result in very uncomfortable situations that take me out of my comfort zone. And here's a question that I have to I wrestle with for myself. I mean, how often am I sacrificing giving things up for the sake of God's call in my life. You know, to what extent is following God costing me something? You know, is it literally changing my lifestyle? Is the way I serve the Lord changing the way that I live? Is the way that I love and care for others changing my lifestyle? Is the way that I, I give and in my generosity, is it changing my lifestyle? You know, the ways that I think about my career or the ways that I think about my future, ultimately, am I willing to sacrifice, to give something, to push myself outside of my comfort zone for the sake of following the Lord? Or does life just become this cycle of pursuing what is best for me, what feels most comfortable for me, remaining in a place that seems to be where I want to be, not giving much thought about maybe where God might be leading me. And the final thing that's there is that blessing. You know, in the end, God desires for us to not just be blessed, but to bless others. I mean, this is, what, this is ultimately the call that God has on Abraham's life. I'm going to bless you, yes, but I'm going to do it for the purpose of you blessing others. And God has given each of us something that he desires for us to use and to leverage for the good of others. You know, recently I had a, a talking with someone about the, the notion of privilege. 
<clears throat> and of course, there's a lot of commentary right now, kind of in the zeitgeist about privilege, about who has it and who doesn't, and is there white privilege, is there male privilege, is there Western privilege, and I don't really want to get into all of that debate right now, but it's important for us just to know that there's absolutely something to the notion of privilege, right? We all have varying degrees of privilege or blessing, things that we have been given that we did not earn or we did not deserve. It's just been given to us. You know, whether that be related to our racial background or economic background or gender or growing up in a particular neighborhood or growing up with particular parents, none of those things we decide, right? There are things that have been given to us in one way or another. So privilege is not a problem. Privilege is not a bad thing. Rather, it's what we do with the privileges that we've been given that matters. It's, it's what we do with the blessings that we have. And the call of the Christian following the Lord is to use that privilege, to use whatever blessings we have been given as a way to bless others. And so, again, all together, we see that Abraham, he took this step of faith and he trusted God with whatever was to come. He sacrificed and moved out of his comfort zone and moved forward with the knowledge that whatever blessings might come, were ultimately not for his good, not just for his good, but also for the good of others. But what we also see in this story is that though Abraham starts strong, and he has at this point set up himself to be a great exemplar, a good example for us to follow, Abram eventually detours off the roadmap of blessing, meaning he's gone off what God had intended and desired for him, and this detour is also incredibly instructive for us. Let's consider what I mean. So his detour from blessing. Uh, after a, a, that really strong start, we see that Abraham takes this hard right turn off this path of faithfulness. And what we see is ultimately what happens in Egypt when he arrives in Egypt. Now, if you remember, God told him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. In other words, Abram, I'm going to take care of you. Do not fear. But an interesting development takes place because there is this great famine in the land. And naturally, given the um, fertility of the land um, near the Nile River, the land of Egypt, many people went to Egypt looking for aid. And Abram and his wife Sarai are no different. They go to Egypt looking for aid. Now, apparently, so we're told, Sarai was a beautiful woman who apparently had a tendency to attract a lot of attention. And so before entering Egypt, Abram tells her to say that she is his sister, not her husband. And he does so, we see in verse 13, in order that his life would be, not be put in danger, that his life would be spared, the idea just being that someone could come and could kill him uh, and take her as his uh, own wife. Plus one scholar had noted that as her brother, if any man did desire to marry her, uh, that the brother would actually need, be need, would need to be asked permission in order to acquire her as a wife. And so Abraham, Abram would need to be uh, asked permission. And so he's kind of doubly protecting himself here. Unless, of course she draws the attention of the only person in all of Egypt not obligated to these social norms, the Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh now sees her, desires her, and takes her and places her in his harem. And while there, 
There are some attempts out there to make this sound like some kind of decent living that she stepped into. Just know that it was not. She basically becomes a sex slave, all of which could have been avoided if Abram had not been a coward and instead trusted that God would care for them. He was more concerned about himself and was willing to let his wife pay the price. Plus, ironically, his lie not only saved his life, but it also led to him becoming rich. I mean, we're told that Pharaoh, in verse 16, treated Abram well for her sake. And Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. It's fascinating. His willingness to give his wife up not only saved his life, but also brought great riches upon him. So to be clear, not only was he selfish for the sake of self-preservation, but now he seems to be rewarded for his deception. And lest we misunderstand what's taking place here, this is hardly God-honoring. This is hardly what God desired from Abram. In fact, God has to step in to protect Sarai from Abram's selfishness. And what we see is that God intervenes before Sarai's dignity and self-autonomy are violated by a man who would inevitably force himself on her. God steps in and inflicts a disease on the household, causing Pharaoh to release her, realizing that he'd been lied to, and as a result, he throws them both out of Egypt. Really hard right turn off of this path of faithfulness that Abram had been on. How far Abram had fallen from the man who seemed so full of faith and so full of trust. He no longer was full of that faith. He was no longer sacrificing everything to follow the Lord. He was no longer willing to be a blessing to bless others. His lack of trust in the Lord led him down this very dark road that put his life and the dignity of his wife in danger, also that he could prioritize and protect himself. What strikes me about this story is that she was so vulnerable. I mean, a woman in this situation, so vulnerable and needed his protection. He was the one who should have been protecting her, but he was too worried about himself, too self-oriented to protect her. We might hear this story and we might think, oh, how awful, but just like Abram, so often, we do the same. So often we cease trusting the Lord. We are not willing to sacrifice in order to follow him. We're not willing to give of ourselves so that others may benefit. And like Abram, we are so easily allured by the comforts that come when we simply prioritize self. And so often that selfishness leads to the vulnerable bearing the consequences. Tell you what, this week has been a hard week for me. This week has, it's particularly struck me, this, this notion of selfishness and this notion of prioritizing one's self has really struck me quite a bit, especially when it comes to prioritizing ourselves, not thinking about the good of others, and as a result, that impacting the most vulnerable among us those who should be protected. And this has hit me particularly hard because of various news that we have experienced right now in our nation. 
And in particular, it struck me, and it's been so heavy for me, about how our, so often, our demand for rights, our demands for my rights, my self-autonomy, leads to the harm of the most vulnerable. This week, if you aren't aware, there was a a recently uh, released report chronicling sexual abuse in the church. What was so striking amongst the many things is that, of course, the grave injustice against vulnerable women in particular, but also the fact that in pursuit of self-protection, layers of people covered it up. Layers of people attempted to divert attention for self-preservation's sake. Lord Jesus, the ways that abuse are so often ignored, cast aside for the sake of self-preservation. What is that except Abram giving up Sarai for his own benefit? You know, in our nation, our demands for things like gun rights and our lack of courage to make any real change leads to the death of elementary school students and so many others. Those who should be protected we're willing to give up for the sake of our rights. We're Abram giving up Sarai, the most vulnerable in Egypt. In our nation, our demand for rights leads to the daily death of the unborn. And I know it's a complicated issue. I know that there are so many complicated factors, and Jesus, please give us wisdom to care for all those involved but you know who it's not complicated for? The vulnerable child who deserves protection. So often we are Abram giving up the vulnerable Sarai to Pharaoh for the sake of self-preservation. And what has hit me this week is, God, if we can't do anything about it, bring judgment on us. If we can't stand for the vulnerable, step in and do it for us. And in the affluent West, this has always been our temptation. The temptation for self-preservation. Our comforts, our rights being primary. The American dream and the allure of a comfortable and prosperous life that highly emphasizes me and my comforts, my desires, my successes. You know, not always, but in so many cases, the American dream, that dream that we are all so often steeped in very quickly just becomes this selfish endeavor that cares little for the plight of others. Every day my life is consumed with me and what is best for me, giving so little thought to the vulnerable around us. It so easily produces an entitlement that assumes that I deserve good things. I deserve my rights. Or it can produce this arrogant self-righteousness that believes that I have what I have because I deserve it and I earned it. 
And it often produces a life where we functionally do not have faith in God. Instead, we have faith in ourselves. We do not sacrifice. We don't see it as required, but rather it's just a nice option. Or where blessings are just viewed as what I can achieve or what I've attained, and so go get your own. The American dream might be God's blessing, but so often the American dream is a curse that devolves into Abraham in Egypt in this self-centered endeavor, offering up his vulnerable bride for the sake of benefiting himself. It's a hard right turn off of God's intention. And it is embedded in our culture and it is part of just our everyday lives. How often do we think about these kinds of things? So the question, of course, is if we've made this really hard right turn, and to varying degrees this happens, I know that we are not all Abrams to this degree, but to varying degrees this, this happens amongst us. How do we get back to that, that path, that path of faithfulness, that path where the, the immediate instinct is to sacrifice and to give that immediate instinct is desires, this desire to be a blessing to others, not prioritizing myself, but giving myself for the good of other people. How do we get back to that kind of road? Well, I think, and we see this in our passage, it's a matter of reorienting ourselves back to the destination. It's remembering where that road was leading us. Let's consider that for a moment. In some sense, God's intervention to stop Pharaoh from him forcing himself on Sarai and bringing dishonor to her and also bringing this salvation to Abram, God's intervention and the upending of this comfortable life that Abraham was now enjoying, it was a grace. God's intervention was such an extraordinary grace now, we're not told this, but a bit of a side note. It doesn't seem like Abram was particularly concerned about his wife, even in the midst of all this. He'd become wealthy. He had very well might have stayed, who knows, if God hadn't intervened, as opposed to returning to the land that God had promised. But see, we need to remember that it was that land, that land that he seemed so willing to walk away from, it's that land that becomes the orienting factor in how our understanding of blessing leads us back to that road. Why? Because that land was not ultimately Abram's land. And that land was not ultimately going to come simply because of his faith or his righteousness. It's not Abram's faith and righteousness that will establish this land that's to come a land that would eventually become a blessing to all lands, to all nations. If it had been dependent on this guy, nothing would have happened. He'd still be in Egypt. Instead, it is God, of course, using Abram, despite his egregious failures. And frankly, as you read through the rest of Genesis, we still have yet to see all of the ways he's going to fail to create this nation. 
but he never creates it. From the beginning, it was never his to create. It was not his work, but it was the work of the one who would come ultimately through Abram. You know, if you fast forward many years in John 8, there's a really interesting conversation that Jesus is having with the religious leaders of the day. They are challenging some of his teachings uh, in large part because they think they thought that they knew better about what the scriptures taught. And in the midst of this conversation, Jesus brings up the father of the Jewish people, the father of Israel, the father of this land that had been promised, Abraham. And Jesus says this about Abraham. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Let me stop there. So first thing that we see there, Jesus is saying, listen, Abraham, though in in an imperfect way, looked ahead. He eventually snapped out of what was happening in Egypt, and he looked ahead. He saw me, and he rejoiced at my coming. Jesus here is saying that he is orienting. The central theme of the promise that was given to Abraham is not Abraham, but ultimately what Abraham saw ahead which Jesus is saying is himself. And then he goes on in verse 57 of that same chapter. He says, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. A couple things. First, Don't miss what Jesus is saying here. Jesus very easily could have said that before Abraham was born, I was alive. Instead, he intentionally says, before Abraham was, I am. What is that? If you don't know, I am is the name that God gives himself in the Old Testament, particularly when speaking to Moses. So Jesus is claiming here to be God. I am the I am that you have always read about in the scriptures. And in case anyone maybe thinks otherwise, verse 59, where they go to stone him as a result of him saying this, means they knew exactly what he was claiming. The idea of a man claiming to be God was so outside of their category, so blasphemous that they were ready to kill him over it. What they perceived as blasphemy Jesus was declaring to be truth. I am was standing in front of them. But second, and maybe more important to our point, Jesus is saying, listen, God gave Abraham this promise, but before that promise was given, I am. That's the point. Abraham was never the central figure. He was never the one to whom the promise was dependent. He was never the true and ultimate sojourner on this journey. He was never the one who was going to be faithful and sacrificial or be a blessing. Jesus has always been, even before Abraham, the one on whom all of this rested. I am is the greater sojourner who in faith leaves behind the home he knew, his his heavenly home, and steps into a foreign land, creation. I am is the one who sacrifices far more than Abraham ever would. For while Abraham initially sacrificed his comforts only to again prioritize himself, I am sacrifices his life to fulfill this promise, never prioritizing himself. 
I am is the blessing that extends far beyond any physical location, but establishes an eternal promised land for those who trust in him. And I am was not only the fulfillment of the promises given to Abraham, but I am is the fulfillment of the promises that are given to you as well. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is that orienting factor that keeps us on a road of faithfulness, of sacrifice, of being a blessing to others because it's his road. It's a road that he has walked. It is a road that he has paved so that we might now, empowered by his spirit, walk on that same road. We take those hard rights off the path of faithfulness, but it's Jesus in his life, in his death, in his resurrection that intervenes. He's the one who steps in, pulling us back to that road, orienting us back to that promised land that he establishes. So, my friends, my encouragement would be for all of us to remember the faithfulness, the sacrifice, the blessing of Jesus, to experience what it means to be pulled back to that road, and then trusting that the Spirit of God will empower us, empower us as we keep our eyes on Jesus, our destination, that he will make us a people who resist all of the sinful tendencies that this world will inevitably put in front of us and instead be a people of holiness and righteousness and justice in this world. I pray God does that in us and he does that through us. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we come to you with a repentant posture. Because in so many ways, Lord, we have veered off that path of faith and sacrifice and blessing. So often, we have become a selfish people who care more about our own comforts, our own desires, our own pursuits, self-preservation. And in doing so, we dishonor you. In doing so, we too often consider not the plights of others. And maybe even at times, we offer up Sarai to benefit ourselves. God, if there's any of that in us, break it, crush it, by the work of Jesus, pull us off that path of destruction and lead us back to this path of blessing. The blessing that is Jesus, our Savior. Fix our eyes on him. We ask all this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church, and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.